often. Faith becomes more about who is in and who is out or about who belongs and who does not. But in order for spirituality to be good for anyone, it has to be good for everyone. In this podcast, we find incredible people using their faith and life as a catalyst for goodness in this world. Be inspired to discover your own goodness in order to make your life, your family, your community, and your world better. Welcome to the Chasing Goodness Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kinzer. Great to be with you today, as always. And today, we have a really awesome guest, Kate J. Meyer. She is an author, speaker, ordained minister, and a professional counselor. And if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out, her book, Faith Doesn't Erase Grief, is coming out today, July 12th. So you're going to want to get your hands on it, and we're going to have a raw fascinating, thought-provoking conversation today about grief. So enjoy this conversation with Kate J. Meyer. Kate J. Meyer, great to have you on the Chasing Goodness podcast. Excited to hear all about the new book, which is coming out. If you're listening to this when it comes out, it's literally coming out today, July 12th. So that's really exciting. So just give us the 30,000 foot for those who have never heard of Kate J. Meyer, who you are, anything you want to share, the snippet of who Kate J. Meyer is and who's yeah. who's uh, who's the the voice on the other end of the podcast today. Yeah, today's a big day. I am the really snippet version. I am married uh, with two chocolate labs who run our house and our hearts. Uh, we live in West Michigan. And um, I tell everybody I'm a Wisconsin girl forever at heart, but my home is currently in Michigan. Um, I am a healthcare chaplain, a bereavement counselor, so I'm ordained and I'm licensed. Uh, and I love all things about books, re- reading them, writing them, uh, dreaming about them. And so this moment, this day uh, is a fulfillment of a dream really it's it's very surreal to have this happening yes very very exciting congratulations on all the hard work i'm sure it took to get to this point so the name of the book is called faith doesn't erase grief and then the tagline i think is the part that really can grab a person's attention it says embracing the experience and finding hope and so before we jump into some of the nitty-gritty share a little bit about i don't know sometimes when i see people writing books about things like grief i wonder like that sounds like such a downer kate you know (laughs) so like where did the inspiration what what inspired you or made you want to put something out there um with this specific topic yeah in the clients that were coming in to work with me, whether from their current pastor, from some reading that they had done, had somehow ingested this idea that they weren't allowed to grieve, that as Christians, they had to simply rejoice that their loved one is now in heaven, and there's just no grief that they're allowed to experience or feel. And there's a lot of nuances that we can talk about there, but that's where it came from was I didn't have a resource to give these people to reassure them that it's okay that you are sad that your husband died. It's okay that you are torn apart and wondering if God is real because your child died. You you can grieve. You should grieve. You're allowed to grieve. You're expected to grieve. Um, So it, it came from there, just I I saw a void in the market. Nobody was doing this 
um, and really just naming that the church, capital C Church, has done a lot of harm to grievers. And it's time that grievers learn that you can do both. You can do both. You don't have to one for the other. No, I know in, and I've, I've never lost a loved one or anything like that at this point in my life. I know at some point we'll all experience that, but I have, yeah. like everybody has had grief, have had loss in different ways. And I think for me, and maybe you can put some more words to this, that'll make sense. But for me, there seems grief definitely comes in some stages. And for me, I know like that initial stage for my own experience was almost almost like a space of like, all right, that happened, kind of ignore it and move on. You know, I almost did have that experience that they kind of, the, the church has become known for, but then I, then there's always that time of kind of lament. And then you're, you know, you can, you can't run away from it forever. And then right. what I found, and maybe the most interesting part is you feel like maybe you've gone through the grieving process. And I noticed that there's days, sometimes weeks where it feels like it just lands again on your shoulders. So can you share a little bit, because I know you write about it in the book, about just kind of different, the way that you define kind of those different spaces of grief. Um, so I introduce phases of grief, uh, three of them. And I, I struggled with that word. What word do I want to use there? Because um, stages has just a whole lot of connotations wrapped up into it. And those have been misused for so long. Um, and I talk a bit, a little bit about that in the book as well, so people know uh, where I'm coming from. And then I landed on phases, and the reason I did that is because a phase can be somewhat ambiguous. Um, you know, you kind of transition slowly in and slowly out. Um, there's not an abrupt beginning and end, um, because when there's loss and i'm i'm glad that you named this you know that that grief comes not just from human death um it comes from from pet death it comes from all kinds of changes in life um changes and losses that occur and so when those changes are anticipated the grief can start ahead of time so it's not always an abrupt start of grief either um so these phases are about the fact that we kind of start numb uh, because we can't we can't just handle the full weight of this new reality. It's too much to take in at once. And so slowly that numbness begins to fade. And that's where we get that first kind of wallop of grief, which is what you were talking about there at the end, that there there are days, no matter how far back the loss is, there still will be days where we just get hit with it. Um, and that's because these things, whether they're relationships or other situations, get so deeply ingrained in us that it takes a long time to really live into what this changed reality is and how that impacts us. You know, sometimes the memory is triggered by something that only happens once in a great while. And that's when that next grief wave happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, again, like going back to the tagline of your book, this idea of embracing the experience, you know, when, when we talk about that, I think also have to be careful about 
not necessarily em- embracing it. Embracing and celebrating are two different things. And I think I'm, I'll never forget yes. going to a, a funeral one time gr- when I was in the evangelical circles, going to a funeral and it felt like a party and it just, everything about it felt wrong to me. I just felt, mm-hmm. and it was of a young person. It was of a teenager, early 20 something. And it's like, they threw a party for this girl who passed away in a car accident on a trip. It was horrible. And I just felt like we are, something just felt so wrong. So explain what you mean when you say embrace the experience, that's not at all what you're saying. So what is it that you are saying with, with that phrase? Yeah. Yeah. So we are taught from a very young age, uh, as toddlers kind of stumbling, you know, doing that drunken sailor walk that we do as toddlers to stay away from hot things, right? you know, stove hot, don't touch. Um, And that's when we begin to say, oh, something painful, I should step away from it. Grief doesn't fit that mold. Grief is a pain that we have to step into. Grief is a pain that we have to, um, we have to embrace. And that's, so that's what I mean by it is rather than intentionally avoiding something that we know is going to be painful, Grief is a time that we have to walk up to it and, you know, in a sense, befriend it so that we can gain control over it uh, instead of grief controlling us. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And that's part of the embracing is knowing that we can't just go into it uh, passively. We have to be active and we have to be intentional. And it's hard. It's really hard. And if we can do it, if we can force ourselves to, to do those steps, um, to really put in the effort, which looks different. I'll talk about more, more about that in a second, but if we can get ourselves to do the work, that's what stops us from getting stuck in the grief and getting, and getting just entrenched there and not ever being able to move forward or look ahead, you know? So, I mean, the grief work in the beginning is simply, are you, are you getting any sleep? Are you eating any food? Are you bathing? That's grief work in the beginning. Are you letting people support you? So it's, it's not like there's, you know, in the beginning, that's all it is. Just make sure you're taking care of yourself, meet your basic needs. Yeah. I, I love I love, you know, that's such practical advice, which I really appreciate when we can get practical in these conversations, because sometimes we get so heady. And then when something like this happens, it's like, well, okay, I lost this now. Like, what do I do? How do I get my foot on the floor? You know, now I I'm going to try to get a little free counseling here. Um, and so I also want you to speak to a person like myself. Here's how I tend to deal with, with grief or loss. What I do is I see it. I feel it for a millisecond. And then I just run to the next thing so I don't have to experience it. So I know your advice to somebody who's maybe really sitting in that grief is just to, you know, shower and put your foot on the floor. What do you say yeah. to a person like me who's running out the door? <laughs> like I'm, yeah. I'm showered out the door onto the next thing. And so right. with myself, it's like total avoidance. So what yeah. would, what would that advice be? That's the word, right? It's about, are you, are you distracting, which is good. Or are you avoiding, which is bad? So distracting, even when we can feel the full weight of it, we we are not built, we are not created 
God didn't create us to live in this 24-7. We can't withstand that. We need breaks. We need distractions. So grief breaks are good. It is okay to say, you know what? I'm going to take even five minutes just to watch some funny outtakes on YouTube, right? Go down some YouTube rabbit trail for a little while. Um, But then I'm going to come back to it where avoidance is the thing where we just say, I think I did it. I think, you know, a minute, a minute of addressing it. That was good. And now I'm done. Now (laughs) I don't want to think about that anymore. So I'm going to move on. The problem with that is because it obviously it feels good to turn away and walk away from it. The problem is it just continues to build. And the longer we avoid it, the bigger the explosion will eventually be. And we don't know if that explosion where grief just demands that you acknowledge it, if that's going to be weeks from now, maybe even years from now. Um, I referenced someone in the book who came to me like 10 years after the loss because her physical health continued to decline and decline and decline until she realized this was the only thing left to address. Hmm. Yeah. It's amazing how our uh, bodies will respond to our emotions and our mind and things like that. I really, you know, I don't think I've ever, I think I've always experienced, I always thought I was avoiding when I think at times I've been distracting and I, like you Mm -hmm. have done some chaplaincy work. I was a prison chaplain for seven or eight years. And, Mm -hmm. um, it was actually the beginning of some unhealthy patterns that I engaged with, but I think they started now listening to you as healthy patterns, because what I would do is, you know, some of the things I would hear, um, some of the conversations I would have, they could get really dark and really hard and hearing, you know, cause you're the chaplain at a prison and these guys want to share right. their story with you. Right. And so at first I had to kind of create this distraction for lack of better words. I used to, my wife would always wonder what I was doing. Cause I would come home from work and wash the dishes. Like I just had to like <laughs> do something mindless, but then eventually what happened is I think that dist- I think if we're not careful, that distraction, it's almost like distraction after distraction, after distraction can then all of a sudden we don't even know it. And we're actually avoiding the pain and we're not actually dealing with it. Cause I think that's the truth of that part of my story is I was doing some healthy distracting, but then eventually, I mean, I just never actually talk, you know, I should have, every chaplain should have a counselor, you know, everybody in any sort of trauma work should have a counselor. Um, so, so how, how do you make sure that the distraction different than avoidance? How do you not distract so much that all of a sudden you're avoiding? Yeah. So one of the things I think the best tool that we can have in that is to Um, I talk about intentional grief time uh, where whether it's once a week or once a day, depending on kind of what's going on in your story, you are intentionally looking at your grief. Um, So an intentional check-in time with yourself, with a therapist, with somebody else, where you are getting real about what if, where has my grief tried to pop up today and where have I pushed it back down? What do I need to revisit today and let myself feel? You know, the, the thing about emotions is they really don't want much from us. They just want to be acknowledged. And when we stuff them down, we invalidate them, and then they get mad at us. And it, it, that's where the problems lie. So if we can kind of at the end of the day 
um, you know, wash the dishes and then go for five minutes. It doesn't need to be a lot of time. Just go and think whose story triggered me today. What was so heavy? What do I need to process? Um, whether that's journaling or just talking it out or praying it out, whatever you need to do, just give it that attention. And that's how we are releasing instead of stuffing. Um, so I think intentional awareness is one of the ways that we can prevent going from distraction into avoidance. Yeah. So good. I like how you talk about emotions as if they're my puppy too, or like they're a dog, you know, <laughs> if you give them attention, they're great. But if you don't, they're yeah. going to pee on the carpet or something like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Um, so something, a, a good friend of mine, uh, forwarded a podcast to me. I don't remember who it was, but uh, I am a stuffer. And so the podcast was all about what they called uh, reverberation. And I've shared that a little bit on this podcast, actually, in the past. It's been such a helpful tool for me. And it's exactly what you talk about, because I think if we don't do this on a regular basis, and as you talk about it, I can see this just being a part of like almost a daily routine. And what I've tried to do, because what, you know, I'm in my mid forties. When I turned about 40, I figured out my my process wasn't working and everything was crumbling around me. And so I knew things had to change. One of the things that I've changed is when something happens and it can be the smallest thing. I can be frustrated at something one of my teenage kids is doing, or could have gotten in a fight with my wife or whatever. When something hurts or when something triggers something, what I do is I, I, I mean, it's rare when I, when I avoid this part of it, I try to just literally find space to sit in quietness. I'm not journaling. I'm not anything. I'm just, and what the podcast host was talking about is just allowing that grief or that hurt to actually work through your body is the way that they explained it because don't let it go around you. You know, don't let it go over you. Just really let yourself feel the sadness the loss, the grief, whatever it is that you need to feel, just give yourself the space to feel that. And I can tell you that has been one of the most helpful tools ever in my life that I've discovered because all of a sudden I'm no longer just letting things build up, build up, build up. And then they just explode in a horrible day or a horrible week or a horrible relationship. Then now they're, you know, I feel like I'm dealing with it every day. And so as you talk about dealing with grief, would that be your encouragement to people to find space every day to kind of deal with this or work through it? As best as possible. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we, we really just need an extended break, right? So every day is, is sometimes too much for people. Um, when we're talking about grief specifically, I think in general, that's a great rhythm to be in. Um, but this is also why, uh, there's a whole chapter in the beginning of the book just about emotions because, you know, we we allow children to have tantrums up until about three, maybe four years old. And then we start to say to them, you may no longer drop to the floor, pound your fists, scream, do all these things, right? We, The problem is we don't tend to teach what to do instead. And so as children, then we we equate emotions themselves as the bad thing we don't we don't understand that the behavior is the problem not the emotion and um because we're not replacing the behavior with one that's healthy and still gives kids the 
the the bodily expression of the emotion um and that's what i think this this other host you're referencing was getting at is that emotions are bodily experiences as well and so if we can learn to release them from our body that's how we kind of stake the rest off right do the acknowledgement do the the prayer or the writing or the journaling or the talking whatever it is but that that piece of letting it flow out of you is really important and so um in the book i do include just tools for or um different categories of expression cognitive physical you know the whole gamut just some suggestions and encourage people to figure out what theirs are because we have we all have that kind of straw that breaks the camel's back place when we are grieving we tend to wake up at that point so when the day starts you're already like one more thing and i'm done (laughs) (laughs) and so we need tools we need to know how to let the steam off with pretty consistent regularity, especially in the beginning of grief. Yeah. I, I like that. That's, that's a great analogy. Like you wake up and you just, it's that one thing's going to throw you over yeah. the edge. So yeah. who, I don't want people to see the title of this book and think, well, you know, I haven't lost a loved one in the last couple of years. So it's not for me because it really, this is really a book for everyone. So who should Absolutely. pick up this book and read it? Who's the, who's the, yeah. how will it help the normal everyday person that maybe didn't just lose a loved one in the past couple yeah. months? I think this book I I intended this book for grievers and helpers. And the beauty of that is every single human being fits into one of those two categories. Because we all will grieve at some point in time, whether it's a human loss or something else, we're all going to grieve. Uh, But if, if that's not, if you're not currently in that place, if you haven't recently had that experience, you know someone who has, or you're just preparing yourself. There's so much. So in the end, it's for everybody. <laughs> um, but it just, it gives us ways to talk more openly with people. It encourages encourages people to create space. You, you used that phrase earlier too. And I, I love that. I think that's so important that because our, our culture in general, there are exceptions to this, of course, but in general, our culture is not great at creating space for grievers. Um, you know, we have, we have funerals, people get a few days and then, and then all of a sudden they start to get asked, are you okay? What's wrong? Well, my person died like three weeks ago. I'm sad. I don't, what? And then six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, you know, there's there's something that society looks at and says, well, it's been a year, you should be okay. And that's just not the way that it is. I think if we can learn how to speak in a way that is not unintentionally harmful, if we can create space for people to move through their process, and if we can learn how to be better supporters, right? To say to a griever, let me know how I can help you is the least helpful thing you can say because when a person is grieving they do not have the capacity to come up with a concrete thing 
to say to you, like, do this for me, nor do they have the energy to pick up the phone and call you when they need something. So instead, you can call somebody and say, I would like to bring you a meal. I would like to come clean your house. I would like to come take your kids out for a little while so you can have some time in your house by yourself. Does that work for you? Right? Um, talks about, I talk a lot in the book about if you're supporting someone who's grieving and you call them and they say no, call them again because they're not going to have the energy to call you back. Keep calling, keep offering, but offer concrete things, offer specific time, specific things that you can do to support people. Yeah. Wow. I preach that's, that's great advice because you're right. What do we all are? go to is to say, how can I help? What can I do? And when you're grieving, I can, I can only imagine how difficult it is to grieve the loss of somebody really close to you. And, uh, I would imagine that's a pretty foggy place, a really difficult Mm -hmm. space to understand. Like you said earlier, it's just a matter of taking care of yourself at first. It's a matter of getting out of bed, taking a shower and eating. So the concept of trying to tell somebody else what they could do for you would would I mean it makes logical sense when you talk about it? But I don't think I've ever thought about that before, yeah. and that's such a helpful tool to just say, "Hey, I'm available to do this. Can yes. I come do it?" You know, and yes. then it's just a quick yes or no that they have, as opposed to say, "Well, what what do I need?" I really appreciate yeah. that that thought process, yeah. and I do. I think we live in this culture that you know America has its pluses and minuses, right? But. <laughs> A lot of the minuses are some of these things that we're, we're talking about. You talked about earlier about the lessons that we're learning as kids. And I know like as a, as a man, as a, as a male human being growing up in this world, like what do we, what do so many young boys hear at some point is just don't cry, right? Like we can't cry. We can't express emotion. So then we're so wildly surprised when we see men in our culture struggling to deal with grief or dealing with it in ways that are unhealthy because they were told when they were eight years old that they weren't supposed to cry, you know? So even for parents listening today, just think about some of those things that you're sharing with your kids, maybe totally unintentionally, or maybe just things that you learned because we don't give ourselves those rhythms in life. And if we don't teach them to our kids early enough, I think we'll get to this place and we'll just be totally incapable of the first steps of grief or any sort of healthy way of dealing with grief. And I'm sure you can speak to probably the the lessons that young women here growing up as well, but right. Right. Yeah. I, you know, two things come to mind when you talk about that. The first one being, I think it's important to learn and then spread the news that emotions in and of themselves are neutral. They are not right. They are not wrong. They are not good. They are not bad. They just are. God has given them to us. We have them. They are neutral. What is positive or negative, healthy, unhealthy, good, bad, is the expression of them, right? So absolutely, teach your children, and as adults, I think we need to learn how to do this, um, what healthy and unhealthy expressions look like. That's fine. That's important. Um, You know, I can't can't take my... um, my emotions out on another person. That's not okay. Uh, But I am allowed to feel what I feel. 
So uh, finding that balancing act um, is really important. Yeah. I think of specifically like the emotion of anger. We're so often told that that's a bad thing. And like you just said, no, it's just you, if you're angry, you got to be angry. It's just how you really, how you deal with that, how you release that into the world that, that matters, you know, don't like mow everybody down, but at the same point, don't try to shove that anger away and act like it's not there because it makes somebody uncomfortable. Right. Right. Because pushing that down, anger is one of the ones that can really wreak havoc on your body if you don't let it out. And so that's the other thing is anger has a really bad rap, but crying has a really bad rap too, right? I The number of people I have to say, tears do not make you weak. That is not weakness. It takes strength to let yourself cry because you're, you're, you're embracing that emotion. Now, Kate, we talked about um, embracing the experience. We talked a lot about what's in the book, but I saved what in my perspective, because I'm a bit of an optimist, I saved the best for last. The end of the tagline is about finding hope. And so when we talk about grief, I don't, I don't feel like we talk about hope much. And so share a little bit, not only about why this is the end of your tagline and why you included in this in the book, but also share where we find hope when we're working through grief or if we find hope. Yeah. Yeah, I um I actually really struggled with the idea of including that word in the title because I think it it's something that can easily be misconstrued as part of that just focus on heaven and rejoice um which is not what I intend. Um but but I think we need hope. I talk about hope being the cushion that sustains us when we're dealing with pain. So hope is the thing that allows us to continue on, that allows us to keep moving forward, keep engaging when things are hard. So it doesn't, it's, it's, uh, perpetuates what the title is talking about. It's not, it doesn't, the hope doesn't eliminate all the hard things. It doesn't eliminate the unknown. It allows us to push through despite those things. So hope and grief, where we find that is is recognizing, first of all, that there is no abrupt, you know, snap of the fingers, everything's better in grief. We don't get to start at the beginning and, and quick get to this end where ta-da, everything is better. Um, hope and grief instead is little daily progressions. So, you know, on that on that day one, it can be hard even to see a, a teeny pinprick of light, a, a pinprick of there's something other than this weight of grief. Uh, but that pinprick is there, and that's the hope. And so as we progress, as we continue to move day by day, that, that pinprick gets brighter and bigger. And so the end goal, though, I want to be really clear about, it's not about arriving at a point where there's total light and there's no darkness. It's first about that, that first day that you can laugh and have a, a true, genuine laugh, um, that is a beautiful hope-filled moment because the moment we laugh, we say, I can, I still can laugh. I still can feel joy. And it's about the day where we wake up and recognize that 
I've got a 50-50 situation going on here. The, the grief is still there, but there's all of these other things that I also feel. So they don't cancel each other out. They just coexist. And learning about both and learning about coexistence instead of either or, that's hope. Uh, hope is about I can continue to move forward. I can continue to grow into who I am created to be. And I can do that carrying with me the presence and, and everything that the person who died filled me with and, and shaped in me. And that's how I carry them with me. So I can continue to live, to move forward, to engage in life and not have to leave them behind. So hope for me, especially in grief, is not about pretending that my life is, is perfectly fine without that person being here. Hope is recognizing that I have different ways to connect with them. I have a new relationship with this person. And I am still becoming who I am meant to be, despite living in a changed world. Uh, I have a cushion that sustains me. That's what hope is in grief. As we bring it home today, a couple things just stick out to me. I think the first is that we all have to be okay with the grieving process. All of us will go through grief at some point in life. Most of us already have. And so allowing ourselves to go through that process, really doing the hard work as Kate talked about, is the only way that we're going to get through it. And even saying getting through it is probably not accurate because we're never fully going to get through deep loss. We're just going to be working through it our entire lives. And then the second thing that is in the book is how to be a good friend or a good family member to somebody else who's grieving and what great advice to simply say what you're available to do, say how you can help as opposed to asking for help. So be brave enough to go through the grieving process when it's your time to do that and then be forward enough when you're walking alongside somebody going through the grieving process to be helpful and to not add more burden onto that person's plate. Special thanks again to Kate J. Meyer. You can find her on her website, which is just katejmeyer.com. And of course, her book, like I said, comes out today if you're listening to this when it comes out. And... And again, her book comes out today, which is July 12th. That's if you're listening to this podcast when I put it out. So the book is out. Make sure you go get a copy of it. I'll put a link in the show notes. And it also is helpful if you go on Amazon and give a review. But pick up this book. It's worth it. It's worth it for yourself. And it's worth it for anybody that you ever encounter who's going through grief. As always, you can find me at my website, which is just mattkinzera.com. And on social media, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Matt Kinzera. The show is also on Facebook at Chasing Goodness. And until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.